How can you know what God's will is for your personal life? When we seek to walk in the will of God, sometimes we reduce our decisions down to either being right or wrong. But is there always a right or wrong answer for every decision we make as we seek to walk in God's will? Is God's will really black or white for all of our decisions? If you want to learn how to confidently walk in the will of God and make the wisest decisions in your life, you need to become grounded in scripture and sensitive to the leading of God's spirit. You need to know God's voice so that when you hear his voice, you'll recognize, discern, and be receptive to what he's saying. Today we're talking about discerning the will of God for your life. Ephesians 5:17. It says, "Therefore don't be foolish, And you go, I don't know what it means to not be foolish. It's very general. Understand what the will of the Lord is. There's a call on the people of God to understand the will of the Lord. And usually when we read this, we insert, understand what the personal will of God is for your life. Um, And while I think it's helpful to understand that the scriptures speak to us personally and on an individual level, we have to, we can't forget that the New Testament in particular and the Old Testament, but when we're looking at the New Testament writings, these letters were written to congregations. They were written to communities. They were written to entire, you know, uh, uh, groups of believers in entire cities and regions. And usually when we read these passages in the New Testament, we often take them in an individualistic way where it's, where's my personal application? Where's my personal revelation? Where's my word? And I love that. I love that we seek to know God on a personal level. I love that we want to know his will for our personal life as we make decisions. But we cannot forget the fact that when God reveals an aspect of his character, an aspect of his will, an aspect of his plan, an aspect of his son, an aspect of, you know, what he's doing, um, that is revealed not just to in, an individual person being me, that's revealed to us as the people of God. So we need to take this passage, Ephesians 5.17, and understand that Paul is calling a congregation, a community of believers, to understand the general will of God for their life as a community. And then by finding out what the will of God is for us as a, as a body of believers— I start to understand even better what is God's will for me in particular, personally. Because sometimes we we separate the two and we take God's personal will for me and we disconnect that from the rest of the body. We disconnect that from the rest of the church. And it's about what God wants for my life, in my finances, in my relationships, in my occupation, in my family, in my possessions, in my next step, and where I'm supposed to live. And I'm telling you, you will understand the will of God better for your life when you understand his general revealed will for the body of Christ. That's where we're going this morning. My prayer is that you would understand the will of God generally. What does God What has God revealed about what he wants his people to do? Not just you in your little sphere, in wherever you are in the world, with your family and your amount of, you know, resources and with your giftings and your experiences and your calling. That will touch the rest of the body. But what does God want for us as a congregation in a general sense? And I think by understanding that, you'll know, oh, that's what God wants for me here in Canada with my husband and my two kids and my occupation as a nurse, that's what God wants for me. I have to see myself as connected to the rest of the body. Understand the will of God, which means what? You and I can understand the will of God. So this series is all about hearing the voice of God. But part of this conversation has to involve us touching on the fact that God has a will for your life. God has a will for you. And we know that. (laughs) 
when we talk about God as king, we know that God has a plan, an ideal, a will. Um, he has a set of things he wants to accomplish through my life. And sometimes we take that so far, and we'll touch on this in a little bit, but I want to at least whet your appetite. Sometimes we take that so far where we assume that every decision I make in life is a right or wrong answer scenario. It's a black or white scenario where I can either do the right thing or I can do the wrong thing. And I think what we'll see in scripture is that actually God just wants us to know what his general will is for us. And then at there are many moments in my life, lots of times, where God does have a preference. He says, actually turn left, actually go there, actually hold your tongue, actually do give money to that organization. There are times where God does have a preference and it is a right or wrong kind of answer. There is a black or white scenario that's often painted in life, but not always. We have to get past this idea in Western Christianity in particular this idea, this notion that God just wants to control uh, you in a puppet kind of sense. He just wants to move the strings and you're mindlessly going about your day. It's God's taken over and I have no involvement. God doesn't want to do that necessarily. He wants to lead you as you partner with him and he partners with you. It's a co-laboring relationship. God, from the very be- from the very get-go, has desired to partner with image bearers of God. That's what he wants. And when you make it this, in this scenario, God, what's the right or wrong decision? I I understand the sentiment. I understand the reverence for God's will and his plan for your life. And you honor him and you want to surrender. And you're humbly admitting that you don't always know best. I love that. But when you stop at this idea that says every decision I make in life is either a right or wrong scenario, you you miss out on the beautiful opportunities God presents where he says, actually, I'm letting you make the decision because in this scenario, you know, with when, when you're thinking about, well, do I give to missions in, in Africa or do I give to missions in, in Europe? Do I give to missions in India? Do I give, God, I only have so much money. Who do you want me to give to? What if God's like, hey, wherever you sow a seed and invest into the lives of other believers, I intend to maximize that and bless people. And you're crippled and paralyzed by the idea of making the wrong move and giving the right. Sometimes God does actually know, don't give there. The people there right now, I'm intended to use you to meet that need in particular, so give there and nowhere else. Sometimes it is like that, but it's not always. Keyword, it's not always like that. And so what we're going to do today as we talk about knowing the voice of God and hearing his voice, again, we have to touch on the fact that God does have a will for your life. He does have a plan for you. But along the way, with every decision, sometimes God leaves it up to you because either option is good. Sometimes he has a preference and he says, that's wrong and that's right. Move forward. Stop. And we have to learn how to discern between the two. Hey, God, in this situation, I'm seeking your will. I'm surrendering. I'm humble. Are you allowing me to move forward with whatever option is in front of me because they're all equally good? Or in this scenario, do you actually desire of me to do something particular? And if I don't do that, then I've made the wrong move. We need to learn how to discern through that. And part of that involves knowing what God generally wants for you as his people. Not you individually, not you personally, but you as a part of the global church, as the body of Christ. What does God will for us? And I think that as you understand the general revealed will of God, you'll, you'll know what God is certainly doing in the world. And then with that information, you'll be able to make more precise 
and appropriate decisions when it comes to God's personal will for you. And so I am going to distinguish today between the general revealed will of God versus the secret personal will of God for your life. I am going to distinguish between those two things. I'll show you why in scripture, but let's just touch on this, okay? God has very clearly in scripture laid out what he wants for all of his people to do. Enough for us to never run out of things to do. Meaning God has given us so much to go after that we never have something We're never without, what am I trying to say? God has given us so much information about his will that we can never just sit down and go, I just, I did everything. There's always something to be doing. And there's always something I know to be doing because what God desires for us is not to like achieve an end goal as if I mark it off the list and then I move on from sanctification or I move on from purity or I move on from honesty or I move on from growing in humility. Those things are ongoing processes throughout your life that will completely uh, continue throughout the rest of your life. So what does God generally will for you? Let's just look at a few things. If we, if we can go, okay, God, what do you always want for all of your people, for all the world? then that will help me navigate in this situation with this relationship that's on the table and I'm really interested and I'm trying to figure out, Lord, do you want me to pursue her? I don't know. I can really begin to navigate those more, I don't know, precise decisions when I know the general will of God. First Timothy 2, it says this, this is good. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved. The very first thing I know God wills and desires for, contrary to a certain theological framework, is that God truly and honestly desires every human being, every image bearer of God to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And I know some of you are saying, pause, why are we starting here? This is so basic. This is so elementary because here's what happens throughout your life. Here's what happens. We become so consumed with the things that we don't know. We tend to ignore the things that we do know. And I'm just trying to remind you as you're navigating relationships, as you're navigating the next few steps in your occupation, in your career, as you're navigating, where am I supposed to plant my family and live? Is it Ohio? Is it Texas? I know it's not California. That place... I came out of the right. So I'm trying to navigate. What do I do with my finances here? Do I invest in that ministry or this church? They're pouring into me as you're navigating these scenarios. And God, do I do I start to, uh, I don't know, cultivate this gift you get you've given me or is that a waste of time as you're making these decisions? Sometimes we can forget the very simple truth that God desires all people to be saved. And then I start to be so consumed with the will for my life, my personal calling, that I stop doing what, you know, goes after the general will of God. I stop living like God wants all people to be saved. I stop being a part of that because I'm so consumed. God, what do you want for me? And God's going, well, you know what I want for my people in general is I want everyone to be saved. So are you doing what aligns with that? Are you living a life that aligns with that truth? Do you live like 
God wants everyone to be saved and you're partnering with him to be a vessel through which that is happening. More people are coming to know Jesus through your life. Do you live like that? Or are you too consumed with your own personal calling and gifts and decisions that you don't have time for what you know God wants? You're obsessed with what you're not sure yet God wants for you. This is where our culture in particular, um, we are obsessed with the secretive. We're obsessed with the mystery and what I don't know. And, and tell me about the unknown things and, and aliens and the third heaven. And tell me all about that. And it's like, you're going to spend your life being fascinated and obsessed with what you might never come to know rather than applying what you already do know. And I'm not saying those things aren't important and they don't matter. What I do believe is that when you walk according to the general will of God, he will reveal to you the things that you don't know that he wants you to know. So I might have a a measurement of all the things that I want to know. Who do you want me to marry? Where do you want me to live? How much, what career should I plant myself in? What church community should I start serving in? Is it kids ministry? Is it this ministry? Should I pour into this gifting you've given me? Or, or should I trust that eventually you'll, you'll put me in a position where that starts to be cultivated? What do you want from me? We get so obsessed with the unknown that there's so much sitting on the shelf of our mind. God's saying, you know a lot You have a lot of information you could be applying. And instead of doing that, you're focusing on all the stuff you don't know. And I'm just here to remind you, God has given us enough information to live a hundred lifetimes and never get close to everything he's actually called us to. Um, The second thing God wants, and, and again, this is not an exhaustive list by any means, but as you're sitting there paralyzed, by the decisions sitting in front of you. The paralysis of over-analysis, just over-analyzing every step, and I need to know how it's going to work out and who's going to say what and how am I going to look and how am I going to sound. I need to know all those details before I move forward. As you're paralyzed by the, the fear of making the wrong decision, I just want to remind you, there's a lot you can be doing and you should be doing while you're waiting for God to reveal the things you don't know. 1 Peter 2.15, this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So what does God always, regardless of where your feet are planted, regardless of how big your family is, regardless of how much you have in the bank, regardless of how far you are in life according to your own expectations and agenda and preference, regardless of what occupation you're in, what does God want for us to be doing all the time? Whether I'm at the grocery store, stuck in traffic, or at home, bored out of my mind. He wants us to be living as servants of God. He wants us to be doing good. Not for the sole purpose of shutting the mouths of fools, but that will happen. (laughs) So this is God's will. Do good. What does that mean? Live as servants. What does that mean? Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Are you doing those things right now? 
Or have you forgotten that that's what God wants because you're so obsessed with what you don't know yet? I don't know what the next step is for me. I don't know if I'm supposed to move up here. I don't know if I'm supposed to go to that school or even pursue basketball anymore. Are you doing what you know he's called you to? Because if you're not, you're less likely to know the things that God has yet to reveal to you. It's almost as like, this is how I've come to understand, at least currently in this, at this point in my faith walk. How I understand God reveals things is often you do what he tells you to, and through that, he shows you things that you don't yet know and you need to know. But you won't come to know those things, and you won't come to know the right information to make the right decision until you just start doing what he's already revealed to you to do. This is, again, the distinction between the general will of God versus that secretive personal will for your life and your gifts and your experiences and what's your calling and where do you fit in the church and what's your part, right? And how are you going to specifically serve and and how are you going to specifically edify the body and how are you specifically going to reach people? This is the distinction I draw. The general will of God for all people. He wants all people to be saved. He wants you to be a part of that. He wants you to live as servants of him. He wants wants you to be a servant, serving others, loving others, honoring others. And if I'm not doing that, why would I expect God to show me what I don't know? Because then I would just have more data sitting on the shelf of my mind that I'm never going to apply. More information that I'm just going to let sit on the shelf and I'm going to look at it. Like my son builds his Lego sets and I go, you going to play with them? He goes, no, I just want to look at them. The glory of my finished work. That's what we do. We go, I know more information. And we just stare at it. Wow. Look at what I know. And God's like, yeah, that's great. What are you going to do with it? First Thessalonians 4.3. This does play into hearing the voice of God. Why would you expect to hear God's voice in the unknown, unrevealed areas of your life when you haven't even done what he's told you to do? Why would he give you more to be faithless with? 1 Thessalonians 4.3, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, of course, I don't control the degree to which I'm sanctified. I don't control how much I transform or how much I grow into the image of Jesus. But am I doing what promotes transformation? Am I reading the word of God? Am I meditating on the scriptures? Am I around other believers feeding my spirit, feeding into my faith? Am I around people that love God? Am I pouring myself into the church so I can be challenged and things in my life can be revealed and exposed that God wants to work on and fixed? Am I putting myself in a position where I'm seeking God in prayer? Am I doing the things that promote sanctification? And here's the will of God, abstain from sexual immorality. That just hit home for some of you. That just hit home for some of you guys. Because you know, you're living in sin with one hand holding on to sin. And with the other hand going, God, tell me what I'm supposed to do. What am I saying? He's going, I told you not to live in sin. (laughs) I told you not to give yourself over to the passions of your flesh. And you ain't even even doing that. You're not even doing the small things. This is where we talk about When God gives you a small amount of responsibility, when God gives you a little bit and you run with that and you're faithful with that, that opens up the door for new opportunities and new responsibilities that God can entrust to you because he knows 
how responsible and faithful you'll be with a lot based on what you do with a little. So if if you're looking at the command to abstain from sexual morality, and then you kind of dismiss that, and you're like, let's just push that off to the side because I need pleasure. I need my daily dose. I need my nighttime hit. God, what do you want for my life? Should I keep pursuing basketball? Do you want me at this school? Should I be with this girl? All the while you're living in sin. It's not likely that you'll even discern the voice of God when he does tell you whatever it is you're asking him for. I'm telling you, obedience positions us, faithfulness positions us to be receptive to what God is doing in the other areas of my life that have not been revealed to me. It's as if the more faithful and obedient I am with what I know, that makes me uh, positioned to recognize God speaking into those other areas, the unknown, secretive areas of my life. What do I do here? Where do I go? The more faithful you are with what you have, the more likely you are to recognize when God is speaking in the other areas. This is God's will that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Sometimes we, as the American church in particular, I've seen it for years. And you're like, years? Did you barely graduate sixth grade last year? Like into the seventh? How, how old are you? What do you mean years? I've seen, I've been a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor for seven years. And that was two years ago. And so I saw a lot of this. This idea that's like, we glorify and magnify certain aspects of God's will that we think are more spiritual and more, I don't know, worth our time. And then we diminish or we set aside these, in our mind, what we've decided are the less important things. Like eh, sexual morality and purity and honesty and humility. Those are the lesser things. And then we go after miracles. <laughs> we, when, as if it's not a miracle that you can remain humble and a servant and remain free from sexual morality. That's a miracle, man. And we go after like the big things. It's like, I want to see revive. I want to see 5,000 people fill the stadium and I want to preach to them. I want to see people lined up on the streets getting healed by the power of God. I want to see the power of God fall in a community. And we magnify that, which, which, which is awesome. I love that. But when you make that uh, more spiritual and more important to God than honoring God with your body and controlling yourself and resisting the urge to give into sexual passion and, and actually honoring God by being a servant, when we diminish those things, we have a, an issue, we have something off in our hierarchy of priorities. The will of God is actually, what's funny is believers have reversed the hierarchy of God's priorities, if, if there is such a thing. I think all things are equal to God when it comes to his will for us. Purity, humility, honesty, integrity, you know, being bold and confident, right? I think we often have reversed the things that, this is what uh, Jesus says. This is not like on the level of it, but it's similar to when Jesus says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And what we've done is we've made the, I guess, we've made certain things more important that God would actually say, actually, I desire mercy more than sacrifice. Actually, I desire compassion. I desire grace. I desire patience and forgiveness and, and long suffering more than I do for you to fill stadiums with thousands of people to hear the gospel. And it's not like God is not pleased with that, but God is so concerned with things 
that we often minimize and make less important. It's like actually the will of God for you right now in this moment of time and space is that you would resist the urges of your body, the urge to gossip, the urge to lie and get out of that so you can maintain that self-image, the urge to give in when your girlfriend calls you over and you're like, I could because no one's home and her parents are gone for at least two hours. The urge to look at things when no one's around that you're like, but I'm longing. Like there's something in me that is starving to be satisfied. God is so pleased when you resist those urges and resist the passions of the flesh and honor him in the small moments. And we are so often neglect that, minimize that because we just want the big things. Give me the big things, God. What do you want for my finances? What do you want for my relationship? Where are you taking me in my career? How am I going to be a witness to those at work? He's going, well, when you behind closed doors actually develop integrity. When you can learn not to gossip, when you get around people who kind of stir that up in you and you go, no, I'm not going to give into that today. I'm done playing around. (laughs) 1 Thessalonians 5.18. This is the will of God. Again, this is so important to God, and it's become so not important to many believers. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances. And you're going, well, that's just like general. Well, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Isn't that interesting? And it comes right after pray without ceasing, rejoice always. So it seems as though giving thanks, praying, you doing that, rejoicing in the midst of whatever you're going through, these, this is what God wants. This is what God wants. Okay, I'll go there. A few days ago, my wife and two kids got in a small car accident. We had just gotten um, a used car. We were in Florida, driving up home. We were 10 minutes, they were 10 minutes from the house, got in an accident. Um, Essentially, the front is totaled when it comes to it being drivable. And in that moment, I was really faced with like, I can either be super bummed and pissed (laughs) that we just got this used car we're trying to pay off now. Now we have extra bills and we don't know how we're going to do that. And and now we have to think about paying for repairs and will insurance cover this? And I have to, in the midst of that, I had to stop and go, what honors God in this moment is that I choose to rejoice and be thankful for the things that still remain true. And in that moment, it was like something clicked for me. It was like, that's, this is the will, this is me doing the will of God. Not those grand things where it's like, hey, look, a million people came to Christ and the nations, and I love that. But when you let that overshadow the small moments of faithfulness and integrity, um, you have, a, you have a, a very different set of priorities than God does. And so rejoicing always in every circumstance, when things suck, (laughs) praying without ceasing, giving thanks, because I always have something to be thankful for. I always have a reason to rejoice. Even if my life is a living hell, I always have one reason to rejoice. That being that I know God and he knows me. I always have a reason to give thanks. That being what Christ has done for me that can never be reversed. That is what gives me joy and hope and a sense of gratitude and that is the will of God for you. Second Peter 3.9. Uh, we minimize gratitude. We're like, ah, let's get to the more spiritual things. That is easily one of the most difficult 
yet most spiritual things you can do is jump on the gratitude train in the midst of reasons why you can be bummed out and blame God for how much your life sucks. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing, here's what God doesn't want, that any should perish, but that all should reach what? Repentance. So what does God desire? He desires people to be saved. He desires people to reach repentance. He desires the prodigal to come home and to come into his family. He desires enemies, enemy image bearers of God to become his children, to experience the beauty of his love, to be in relationship with him. Do you have that desire as you live your life too? Is this something you want for the people around you? Or do you get so consumed with the personal will of God for you that you no longer have the heart of God for those around you because you're so self-consumed? It doesn't say God doesn't wish for you to be uncomfortable. God doesn't wish for your life to ever have any inconvenience. It's not what it says. What God doesn't wish is that any should perish. That's what God desires for you and I to live like. So when we talk about what is God's will for me, he wants you to partner with him and have his heart for the people around you, which requires you and I to pray and say, God, would you, would you give me that heart that I currently don't have because I'm so self-absorbed and I'm so selfish at times and I'm so individualistic and I see you for what you can do for me only. I don't see how I can be a light of hope for those around me. Give me your heart for those around me. Let my heart break for what breaks yours. Matthew 27, verse 37. This is what Jesus says as, um, this might not be the right verse now that I'm looking at. It. it was supposed to be the passage where Jesus goes, um, oh, no, this... We're going we're gonna to try every chapter until we see it. Matthew 22. Ah, that's it. Matthew 22. What, what is God's will? What's the summation of the law? What's the greatest commandment in the law? Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the greatest and first commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. How are you guys doing on that? Like I'm just asking as a fellow brother who sucks at this himself, how are you doing loving God and loving fellow image bearers of God as well? How, how are you doing loving those neighbors that bug the crap out of you? How are you doing loving the annoying people in church? How are you doing loving the people that you don't get along with and you disagree theologically on secondary things and they're very strongly opinionated about it? How are you doing loving those people? How are you doing loving the neighbor that lets their dog turd on your lawn? How are you doing Loving God. Because you're going, I, I do love God. Well, hold on. The way we practically love God is by loving people. That is the most practical way to express love for God. How you doing? Because if that's not a priority to you, but it's a priority to God, and you're focusing on the things in life that you don't know about, and you're saying, God, na direct my life. Help me to navigate the situation. What do I do? 
And God's going, you're not even doing the summation of the law, not in order to be saved or to stay saved or to fulfill the law. This is just as an expression of my gratitude. And because I belong to God, I want to love him and love people. If I'm not even doing that, and if that's not even a priority to me, then maybe I am focusing on the wrong things. And maybe the things I desire for God to reveal to me aren't that important because I'm not even doing what God considers to be the most important thing to love him and love people. So I'm telling you, if you begin to prioritize God's will for you and do what he's already revealed and prioritize people and serve people and honor people and love those God has put in in front of you, if you begin to do that, then those other areas of your life that you're seeking for direction and asking God for his will, those things will become clearer. Those things will become clearer. The greatest commandment. And yet, for us, at times, the last thing we want to do is to love God and love people. Or, more specifically, to love God through our love for people. John 17, 3 says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now you go, this doesn't say that's what God's will is. There's nothing about God's will. God sent his son to bring life. It's the will of the father is that we would know him through the son, not apart from the son, not just as someone separate from the son, but through the son, the father and son sharing that divine unity and power. And this is what God desires for us to know him. And this is not talking just about that initial salvation call where I come to know God through faith and I repent. This is talking about daily to know him, to walk with him. Enoch walked with God. I was reading Genesis. Enoch walked with God. And we always emphasize that and we're like, that's crazy. But then like a chapter later, it says Noah walked with God. So Enoch is not on this unrealistic pedestal that no one can attain. It's not like, well, Enoch, you know, none of us can do that. It's just Enoch. If you want to really set the bar high, name your kid Enoch. But Noah also walks with God. Noah also walks with God. The point of that is it's a reference back to Genesis when Adam and Eve would walk with God in the cool of the day in the garden. It's God inviting you to walk with him, to know him, to know his heart, to just enjoy his presence. When's the last time you did that? I know you got a lot of things unsolved in your life. I know you have a lot of questions. I know you have a lot of areas in your life you're waiting God to speak into. When's the last time you just enjoyed knowing Him? With an open Bible, with a receptive heart, with a heart that is full of longing to know Him. When's the last time that just, that was enough? I just want to know you. John 15, 8 tells us the Father wants good fruit. Matthew 28 tells us God wants us to make disciples. I can go on and on. We, we, could, we could probably do a whole series on the will of God for your life. But why would I just continue to list out a bunch of to-dos as if it's just a daily checklist? This is not to be a daily checklist. This is not to be something you check off for the week and go, well, I loved people so I can just kind of be a jerk for the next few hours. This is just supposed to give you a general sense of direction for the way that you live your life. 
Is your life aimed and lived in the direction of loving God and loving people, making disciples, bearing fruit, being sanctified, knowing God, loving one another, reaching people with the gospel, abstaining from the sexual passions and impure desires of the flesh, outside of marriage, of course, you know, actually living like people are destined for separation from God if they don't turn to Jesus and and you're reaching them with the gospel. Those are all the, this is, I don't want to give you an exhaustive list. I don't. Uh, There's enough mega churches doing that. Every message is like five things to do this week. Why would I do that? Just burden you with more things to do. I, I just want to show you what the general will of God is for us so that you understand maybe your priorities, maybe your compass is a bit off. If your focus this week has been up on all the things you don't know and all the things that God has not revealed to you and the areas of your life God has not given you direction on, if that has been the focus of your week, maybe we can shift back a bit and go back to the things we do know and let that be our focus. Because not only should we know what God wills for us generally as the people of God, if we really want to know his will in specific decisions personally for us, we should know what God is already certainly doing in the world around us. And you go, why? Because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Meaning this, Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And it's one of my favorite passages to read because it's just a reminder of how the, the focus and the attention of Jesus was on the will of his father. Not just like on a, on a personal level where it's like, what do you want me to do? But it was, hey, father, what are you doing in this neighborhood? Father, what are you doing in this city? Father, what are you doing in this community? What are you doing in this family? Father, what are you doing here in this region? And as Jesus would understand what the will of the father is for that region, he would know what his role is and how to partner with the father and be led by the spirit. Do you, do you, do you, are you starting to get an idea of how it is that we navigate the will of God for our life? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. God's already doing things that work. He's already at work around you. Are you joining him? Are you partnering with him? Are you trying to reinvent the wheel and go, well, God, you should do it like this. And God's going, well, that's cute. I'm kind of doing it the right way though. So you can either join me or you can push against what I'm doing and be a distraction. Because so many of us are spinning our wheels just on the treadmill of life, going nowhere. Look how much I'm running. Yeah, look how exhausted you are and how much progress you've made afterwards. None. The treadmill of life can be devastating. But the way to get off that is to go, Father, what are you doing in my neighborhood, in my life, in my school, in my workplace, in my family? What are you doing through my finances? What are you already doing that I can partner with you in. What are you doing? Because this is what God is certainly doing, whether you join him or not. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And then verse 29, we'll go on to talk about how we're being conformed to the image of his son. Ultimately, when we're resurrected and glorified, but on the way there, it's called sanctification. So what is God doing all the time? at least when it comes to his people. Well, we know that he's sanctifying, purifying, transforming us into the image of Jesus more and more. 
We know that as the people of God, everything we go through and experience and see and, and endure, he's working all of that out for our good, which the ultimate good is being glorified with his son in new creation. So we know that. And we can go on and on. God, God is saving people. God is redeeming people. God is building his church. God is edifying and encouraging and instructing and, and correcting and disciplining his people. Uh, Psalm 115.3 says, God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. So I mean, we, we can go on and on. God is doing what is good, what is perfect, what is, what, is, what is consistent with his character. God is doing what magnifies and glorifies his own name and, and honors his son. God is doing what you know promotes the maximum reach for the church to reach into the dark world around. That's what God is certainly doing. So that information should inform how I live my life. And if it doesn't, then we're pretty self-absorbed, aren't we? If I look at that and go, God's doing all of that. Give me more money. Change my job. Fix my health. Take the diagnosis away, which I'm all for praying for God to move in your life and and, and do things and, and do miracles that no one else can do. I'm all for that. But when that is all you want and that is your only focus, is God do this for me? you might have a set of priorities that are a bit off, a bit off. And I'm just saying, know what God is certainly doing around you. I I promise by doing what he's already revealed to you, by going after that with all you are, by knowing what he's doing around you, um, that will really help you to make the right decisions when it comes to the things you're navigating right now. And some of you are in some really tough situations. It's a matter of life or death. It's a matter of marriage or divorce. It's a matter of covenant or abandoning. It's a, it, it's a really, really tough decision. For some of you, you're in a decision where it's like, I have five options and they're all equally good. Equal pros and cons, equal opportunity to honor God. They're equally consistent with the scriptures. They're equally going to promote God's kingdom. I don't know which one to choose. And I'm not telling you which one to choose. I can't. I don't know all the inner workings of your life and what's going on around you. I I don't. But I know who does. And I know that he'll reveal things to you as you simply do what he's already revealed for you to do. Sometimes, um, use my kids as an example. Why not? This kind of happened this morning when my son uh, is told to clean his playroom, my son and daughter, right? And then they start cleaning and then they get distracted by a craft, I don't know, that they were doing two days ago. And they're like, mom, you didn't finish this. Hey, and they start pulling out the hot glue and they and they start working on the craft again. And mommy's going, hey, hey, whoa, hey, whoa, cut it all out. Hey, I told you to clean the playroom, not to start crafting. What happened? They got distracted by something that mommy was going to help them with once they finished cleaning the room. And they reversed the order. They said, no, we got distracted, so we got to do the craft first. We got to finish this. And mommy's going, actually, actually, if you just clean the playroom, I'll jump in and help you with that and we'll finish that. But there's an order to this thing. I, I think that illustration really does demonstrate the way God works in our life. 
There is an order to the things he's doing in our lives. There is an order. There's there's a, a progression. There's a logical direction that God is taking us. And sometimes we take things out of order. And it's like, God, but what about the finances? And he's like, love your mother-in-law. Serve her. Make her dinner. And you're like, I'm asking you about where the finances are coming this for this month's bills and I'm asking you if I should take a second job on. I'm asking you if that's me getting antsy or if that's me trusting you and being faithful. You haven't answered. You're being silent. And it's just like, do what he's told you to do. Is it is it that hard? Well, I don't know what he wants me to do. No, you don't know what he wants you to do in a specific area of your life. But you do know what he wants you to do in a general sense. Love God grow into the image of Jesus, seek his face, love people, honor and serve. Are you doing that? If not, I find it hard to believe that God would give you more to be irresponsible with. The third thing is this. Number one, know what God wills for you. Number two, know what God is certainly doing. Number three, discern the secret will of God for you. And you go, why do you keep seeing secret? Let me take you to Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says, The secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things that are revealed. You see the contrast there? There are secret things that belong to God, and there are things that are revealed that belong to us and to our children forever. What does he mean by the things that are revealed? Well, that we may do all the words of this law. So in Deuteronomy 29, the things that are revealed... He's talking about the law of God. Now, hold on. The things that are revealed, that's a category of things, okay? One thing, I don't think the only thing that fits under the category of things God has revealed, but one of the main things, especially at this point in Israel's history, that God has done is he's revealed himself uh, personally and specifically to Israel through the law. That's a very specific personal revelation to a congregation, okay? The other nations did not do that. So that specific revelation through the law is different than the general revelation we have in creation. I'm going to say that again. Creation reveals the nature and the character and the goodness and the divine power of God as being creator. That is a general revelation of God. A specific and personal revelation of God is through his law. Okay, and that's why the Israelites would typically feel superior to other nations, because they had that specific revelation of God. Now, when uh, I think it's Moses who's talking here, when he's talking about things that are revealed in context, he's talking about the law. But there's a bunch of other things outside of the law of God that God has revealed to humanity. Um, I don't know, through sciences, through our efforts to do things, through inventions, through innovation. Uh, through, um, I don't know, through his son, through New Testament authors, through uh, there's all kinds of things God reveals to communities, to congregations, to groups, to individuals, um, to cities. Okay, there's the only revelation of God is not just found in in the law. So that's not what he's saying. But I digress. The idea here is there are secret things that belong to God. Now, what those things are. I don't believe it's necessarily clear here in this passage. 
but the secret things we know are things that God knows that are secret. Now, pause. What used to be a secret is the mystery of the gospel. Let's think about that. What used to be a secret is what we now know as the gospel, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of Jew and Gentile, one new humanity in Jesus, new creation through faith, by grace, that beautiful gospel that was actually proclaimed to Abraham partially. That was a secret in the mind of God, but it's now been revealed. So I don't think we can say that the secret things are things that God never reveals to people. Rather, they are secret for now if and when God chooses to reveal those things is up to him. But what is a secret now can be something revealed later. Some things that God knows as secretive to himself, he actually won't reveal to anyone, (laughs) and that's fine. But the idea here being, there are secret things I believe for us to know and to discover as we walk with God that aren't currently revealed to us yet. Um, Not secretive being uh, like God doesn't want you to know. I guess partially that might be um, involved. Maybe there are some things that God doesn't want you to know quite yet because you're not ready to handle it. But I do believe there's also a category of uh, things that are secret that God intends to reveal to you if you would just ask him to, right? So the idea here being, uh, let me take you to Romans 12 too. If you want to take your Bible study to a new level, Logos Bible software is one of the best tools out there. What would normally take someone 40 to 50 hours to study and research, Logos can do for you in one single search. Cultural context, historical context, cross-referencing Greek and Hebrew words and understanding the meaning of these words. Libraries of commentaries. Logos offers all of this. In fact, Logos is too good. That's why on December 12th, we're going to have an interactive training with the guys at Logos. They're going to Show us the absolute basics on how to use these tools to our advantage. So if you want to learn the basics to accelerate your Bible study, join us on December 12th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This will be a live workshop that you do not want to miss. This is for anyone who wants to be equipped to study the Bible, teach the Bible, and live the Bible for themselves. So mark your calendars and be there for this live stream event on December 12th, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on the YouTube channel. Let's get back to the video. Ephesians 5.17 said, understand what the will of God is, okay? So we know what the will of God is generally, okay? That's not something to really like stress about and and like, I don't know. We know what the general will of God is. It's very clear in scripture. My my toddler could read that and go, yeah, it's pretty clear. Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Watch, watch the progression. We've tackled this already. So that when your mind is renewed, Not only are you transformed, but when your mind is renewed by the word of God, by the spirit of God, you can begin to test and discern what is the will of God. Well, what's that? What is good, acceptable, and perfect? Meaning what? God's will is always good, acceptable, and perfect. But for me, navigating life, when I'm offered five options on a platter, that seem to all equally honor God and be consistent with scripture and could advance the kingdom or when I'm faced with a situation where it's like, this is very tough. This is very likely God. This could also be God. I'm not sure. Learning how to navigate that requires something called discernment. And we talked about discernment in the last episode, but you will begin to discern thing through things better and your discernment will grow when your mind is renewed. And I point here because we often think of the mind as being here, but it's really just the being the core 
control center of the individual, right? So the immaterial aspect of you, the truest version of you, you have to learn how to test and discern through what is the will of God. Now that can't be referring to what is generally clearly revealed in scripture because that doesn't take much necessary discernment in terms of like, I don't know, should I sleep with someone I'm not married to and commit sexual sin or should I not? I just need discernment. That's pretty clear. (laughs) It's very clear. Unbelievers can follow uh, the laws of the land. I think that they can look at the laws of God and go, yeah, that's pretty clear. He says not to do that. It doesn't take much discernment. So I believe what we're talking about here is what God knows is good, acceptable, and perfect for you in any given situation that he has a preference for you. How do I discern through that? What's your will here? When God does have a preference for a decision I'm making, and he doesn't just leave it up to us to decide because he's graciously allowing us to, when he does have a preference, you need discernment. And you need to discern his secret will by knowing his general revealed will as much as you can. As much as you can. The more you know what God has revealed, the better you'll be able to receive and understand and discern through the things that aren't yet revealed when he does show them to you. Uh, Ephesians 5, 8 through 10, kind of similar idea. It says, at one time you were darkness, now you're light in the Lord, praise God. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right, and true. Sounds a lot like what we saw in Romans 12, 2. Good, acceptable, and perfect. Good, right, and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Interesting. Same with Romans 12. This idea of discerning is paired with, you know, God's will being good, right, and true, or good, acceptable, and perfect. So what pleases God? I don't always know what pleases God in any given situation when I'm faced with a decision. I don't know. So what I need to do is discern. Well, how do I discern? I I take this is what I do. I think through what the scriptures have already told me about God's general will. And I let that data, that knowledge inform my decision now. So if I'm faced with a decision, um, I'll just give you a practical example. Um, we, we talked about the car accident and how we got in a car. My, my wife and kids got in a car accident. The car's we don't know what the repair costs are going to be. We don't have it. So we ended up getting a donation uh, f- probably like the day before. The day before, I'm not going to tell you how much, but we were like, whoa, we've been praying for God to give us what we need to pay off bills. And God answered. God answered. Um, yet as soon as I got that, I sensed in my spirit, this is actually for another ministry I want you to pour into. And I thought, oh, I don't know, Lord. Like, okay. And this was just me, honestly. I called it wrestling, but I think I was trying to find a way to hold on to that as an answer to my prayer. So I'm going, Lord, this 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 great amount of money just came in. We've been praying for you to provide for us to pay off our bills. Um, and now you're telling me, no, that's not for that. That's for another ministry that you barely... Um, uh, you, you've had two encounters with, and 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 you, you know I'm calling you to do it, and I'm going. Hey, this is this is rough. Like I I really don't know. So what I did, I, I prayed, and I honestly I was driving home from from Florida to South Carolina with my family, and I was thinking, God, I'll only like I need you to make it very clear. Like Gideon, I need you to make the the wool wet and the ground dry. Okay, not good enough. Make the ground wet and the wool dry. That kind of scenario. I was like, God, my wife needs to tell me that you told her 
this money is for that ministry. That never happened, okay? That never happened. But I still strongly sensed in my spirit, this is what he wants me to do. But I was truly trying to navigate that. I Now, in hindsight, looking back, it was with a sense of, I, I knew deep down God was saying, give it. But there was a part of me that was really trying to make it as if that was God answering my prayer for our bills to be paid, right? And so this was just a few days ago. I go through with it. I just commit. And I go, okay. I, now, after praying, you know, that sign didn't happen where my wife came and said, the Lord told me this is for the ministry. Amen. That didn't happen. I just, the more time went on, the more days passed by, the stronger that conviction got. And honestly, I was wrestling through like, God is, because there have been times where I've done this in my past. So sometimes our past experiences with God can inform how we're making a decision now. So I'm going, but in the past, God, I have kind of jumped the gun. And when you've brought money in to pay for our bills, I've given it away as if that was for someone else when in fact you said it was for us. And I kind of I jumped the gun a bit and and I got overly uh, generous, I guess. So there are times where it's like, uh, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves generosity. But there are times where it's like, be faithful and responsible with what he's given you to tend to your needs. And so I was like, God, is this that moment? Am I being very faithless and irresponsible with money you've given me? And I'm going, just write it off. Send it to the other ministry. And you're going, no, dummy, that was for your bills. Like, how do I know this is you? That conviction stayed. And eventually I just gave in and said, you know what, this, if it hasn't gone away and I've asked you, make it clear, make it clear, make it clear. I'm just going to go with it. That, that's what I mean by discerning the will of God is you think through, because I was thinking, God, you're generous. Um, and then I, I was thinking of all these scriptures that inform that decision. Like, God, if I give this, then I'm showing that I trust you to care for me. And I'm doing what Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. I'd be doing that. But there's also scripture that talks about being faithful with the little, being responsible to take care of your family and, and make sure those things are handled. So in this moment, it's almost like scriptures are competing in my mind, if I could say that. It's like they're not, uh, you know, both saying the same thing. One saying, give and trust God. The other one saying, use what he's given you to take care of your family. And I go, ah, they're both very, they're very, very likely. Which one is it? Right. So I'm going to be step out in faith. Or is this just me creating an opportunity to demonstrate some magnificent act of faith when you're going, no, I don't need that. I need you to take care of your family. Which one is it? So I got, this is what I'm saying. Like discerning the will of God is not always as clear cut and black and white as we like. Sometimes it's like, God, I'm praying. I'm asking. I'm even asking you to kind of give, make it clear to me what to do here by giving you some criteria to me. You ain't doing that. What the heck do I do? And that I, I took it as since that conviction stayed after praying, after seeking, after thinking through the scriptures, that conviction to give kept lingering. I took that as, and maybe I didn't make the right decision. Maybe I'll find out. This is a, but I still, I know scripture tells us God is a generous, giving God. He sacrificed it was at a cost to him. So why would I think that following Jesus would never be at a cost to me? 
Why would I think that it would never cost me and my family financial comfort and convenience to follow him? So I took all that and I said, okay. I took all that data, internalized it, processed it, prayed through it, and we gave it. And that's what I mean by discern what is pleasing to the Lord. There's some wrestling involved. Some of you are like, when God speaks, it's like this easy flowing, like I'm just going with the flow, man. That's not how it works. There's a lot of wrestling to determine. Not, not, it's not wrestling like, I don't want to give it up. It's, am I supposed to give this up? Or is this for my family? And some of, there are some of you in the chat who would look at me and go, you dummy, you missed out on an opportunity to like care for you. No, I think I did what scripture most consistently reveals about the character of God is that he's generous and I'm going to trust he's going to care for us in some way, shape or form later down the road, whatever. But at least I know other people are being impacted through my giving. And that is a reward to me in and of itself to know what I, that I did the will of God. And I'm, I am confident that it was what he wanted. I am. After receiving a message from, you know, the ministry we gave to, I was like, yeah, this was definitely um, what you wanted. So let me take you to 1 Corinthians 2 as we're wrestling through trying to discern the will of God. Because I'm telling you, there were voices on both sides. Both were very realistic. It's like, God is telling me, give. God is telling me, don't give. Which is it? How do I know? I'm an idiot. No, it's just sometimes that wrestling is necessary for you to really grow in your ability to recognize God's voice, in your trust, in your faith. First Corinthians 2, 9 through 13. I only share that as an example of the most recent opportunity I had to really discern the voice of God. And it was tough. I was like, who am I listening to right now? Is this my own voice? Or is this you? I don't know. Some would say, well, if you're always thinking of giving, it's always God. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. First Corinthians 2, 9 through 13, it says, As it is what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, uh, what no heart of man has imagined, those things are what God has prepared for those who love him. Now those things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Amen. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For look, who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now pause. People usually stop there and they're like, see, no one can know the thoughts of God. They're higher than ours. They're you know, they're higher than the heavens and ours are so low. His ways are higher than our ways. If you actually read that passage in context, God is not saying you can't know my ways. God is telling Israel, your ways and thoughts right now in this moment in history are not on the level of my thoughts and ways, but they could be. Meaning they could know and do what God wills for them, but they choose not to. They don't want to. Um, here, we see the Spirit of God comprehends the thoughts of God. Now, is that a statement about what we can't do? Well, he does say no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What happens when a person has the Spirit of God, though? Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Now, in context, he's talking about the things that God has prepared 
for those who love him. Things that you've never heard, things you've never seen, things that your imagination can't fathom. You don't have the raw material and the necessary components in your imagination to even conjure up a picture that is close to what God has actually prepared for you, okay? This glory, this beautiful you know, future. But also, along the way, there are things that are freely given to us by God. Not just given in like a here, have this, but in a given meaning you can know about this. And I think this takes us back to Deuteronomy 29, where the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed to us are for our children. There are things God does desire to freely reveal and show you and give you, and it's received by the Spirit. It's discerned by the Spirit. It's recognized by the Spirit. So God wants us to live by the Spirit. That's why Galatians 5, we could tie it into this message. God wants you to live by the Spirit so that you're more likely to to recognize those things along the way that He wants to teach you and show you and reveal to you the secret things about your life, about your future, about your family, whatever God wants you to know. Sometimes we restrict God to this idea of, well, God will only show me X, Y, and Z. God can only show me A, B, and C. It's like God can show you anything he wants to about your life and future and calling and giftings and insight into a situation and decision. He can show you anything. So why would I um, cut myself off from certain things God is trying to freely give me and go, nope, I don't want it. No, why would I not have my arms wide open to everything that God wants to show me and reveal to me about my life and those that are in the world around me? James 4, 7. So this, so this is where we're going, okay? We're almost done. Know what God's will is for you generally. Know what God is certainly doing in the world. Discern his will for you. That requires prayer. That involves fasting. That involves counsel. In this situation, I didn't need those things necessarily because it was so clear. It was too clear for me to move on and go, I just need some another opinion, God. And God is going, really? Sometimes we know deep down what God wants us to do. And we shrug that off and go, but do I really know? And God's going, you do. <laughs> you, you know. God knows how to make you know that you know. You know? So the last thing is this. Surrender your will to God's. That is what makes it, that is what makes you more likely to recognize his hand and direction in your life. When you're going, what's your decision? What do you want, God? Well, hold on. Pause. Have you surrendered your preference to him? Or are you only asking God to validate the decision you've already made? Sometimes when we go, God, what's your will? What we're really saying is, God, can you just co-sign this plan I've already made? I don't need your opinion necessarily. I just want you to approve of what I really want to do. So we're coming to God like a yes man. Just say yes But it comes out of our mouth like, your will be done. What is your will? We don't mean it. What we mean is, God, I really want to do this. I have a preference. I want you to do it. So please say yes. Please say yes. If that's your relationship with God, I pray you grow up from that. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There is a resistance in your submission. Meaning this. 
the way to resist the enemy is to very simply submit to God instead. Because in that submission, you're ignoring the other options, right? So there's surrender. I mean, we could, and you go, why would I surrender to the will of God? Because it's better than yours. You can look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Three times. What does this tell us about Christ? He had a legitimate human preference in that moment. With blood dripping down, he's crying out for God to let his will be done. But simultaneously, there's another cry. If there's any other way, get me through this. Let it be done another way. And the both are equal. Both are equal. Jesus says, if there's any other way, let that be done. Let that be done. But then there's this almost like safe guarding net of a prayer where it's like, but let your will be done. It's like he's covering that human preference and enveloping it in this desire for God's will above all else. That's, that is what it means to surrender. It's God, I have a preference. I really, in this decision, I want it to work out a certain way. Look, God, I want the results of this situation to look a certain way. But even so, I surrender my preference and my will at your feet. And more than I want that, I want your will to be done if it's different. And you go, why? Why would I surrender to God? Because Job 28 says, God understands the way to it. He knows its place. He looks to the ends of the earth. He sees everything under the heavens. I was standing on my roof yesterday, like you do on a Sunday, and um, just looking out, what was it two days ago? Like you do on a Sabbath. It was Sabbath. Cleaning my roof and the gutters and the leaves off. And I was standing up and I went, wow. The way you see the world from a higher vantage point is just different, man. Like I was looking at things I always look at through in my front yard, things I'm always looking at through my window, but to have a higher, have the higher ground and to be looking down on it, it really changes the way those things impact you. It changes the way you process them, the way you understand them from a higher vantage point. See, God sees things you and I don't. He sees everything, everything. Just like Woody in Toy Story sees everything. Remember he tells Sid, we see everything. Then he says, so play nice, freaky, freaky moment in that movie. But the idea is God sees everything you and I don't. So I can trust his will, even when it's different than what, what I prefer, because he knows better than I do. Let me take you to a few passages as we end. Just a few examples of what it looks like to dis- uh, for people to... Not necessarily hear the voice of God, but to let their understanding of God inform the way they make a decision. Okay. Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing before King Nebuchadnezzar. And they say, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. Deliver us. Prince uh, Prince of Egypt? 
He's able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. Okay? Now watch. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, don't they seem kind of wishy-washy? God can deliver us, therefore he will. But if he doesn't, well, how is he going to if there's a potential he won't? You know what I mean? How, how can you stand before the king of the world, essentially, at that point? King Nebuchadnezzar has conquered more, more than you'll ever conquer <laughs> in your lifetime. And he's, they're standing before him going, God can deliver us from you. And he will. But if he doesn't, I want you to know something. We will never serve your gods or worship the golden image you've set up. Never. Here's my question. Did they know God would bring them through the fire? Or did they know that death would not be the end of their existence and God would deliver them, not from death itself, but from staying in death? I think, number one, they know this. God can deliver us. Number two, even if we die in this fire, when we do die... God will deliver us from death and bring us into his presence so that we don't stay dead forever. So those two truths inform their decision to move forward and let the chips land where they do. They're like, God, we know you can save us from this fire. We also know you will deliver us, whether from this fire or from the grave when we go into it. But even if you don't save us from this fire, we know we're not going to serve the king and his gods. Isn't that fascinating? That their understanding of God and his character and what he could do gave them faith to believe God to do something, and even if he didn't. So it's like this. There's this this simultaneous, um, what's the word? There's two things happening. I believe God will because he can. But even if he doesn't and I'm wrong and my preference doesn't get met and that's not God's will, even if he doesn't, we'll hand ourselves over to the will of God. It's this dual nature of faith that God will. But even if he doesn't, I'm surrendered to what God knows is best. This is what I mean by discerning the will of God. All of us can have faith. God will. God will give me a million dollars. God will give me that car I keep passing on the way home from work. God will give me that house my wife and I are looking at every night. God will give us a change in occupation because we hate our jobs. You know, we have this faith and we have our dream boards. We have our refrigerators where I have all the things God's going to do. Yeah. But sometimes it takes even more faith not to believe God will do those things, but to be okay with God not doing it. Do you have the faith to receive a no from God, not just to believe for a yes? First Samuel 13, uh, 17, 37, we have David standing before King Saul. He's about to take down Goliath. Saul's going, you're nuts, kid. You are insane. David goes, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, 
from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Them are some fighting words. You're putting God on the spot, my guy. (laughs) You are putting God on the spot. God will deliver me. And God's like, dang. (laughs) He called me out. Now, God didn't have to. That's the thing. It's not like David is, you know, controlling the hand of God to save him. David has faith. Based on what? Based on what he knows of God and based on what he's seen God do already in his past. God's already delivered him from the lion and the bear. This giant is nothing new. He's just another animal. So he's looking at the past to inform his present to go, God did that so he could today. But then David doesn't say God could save me. He says, God will deliver me. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did you know that, David? Or are you just kind of just throwing a Hail Mary hoping God's there. You know, that I've always wondered that. Like, David, you, you can't know for sure, can you? You know God's going to deliver you? Or are you putting him on the spot so he has to? What's going on here? Or are you that confident you're like, God will. Let's do this. Saul said to David, go. The Lord be with you. This is what I mean, like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say. The, the whole point of me bringing up David was it, it reminded me a lot of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing before King Nebuchadnezzar. David's going, I know God. I know what he's done. That informs how I see this situation and whether I should go forward or not. Because do you think David had to wrestle with, uh, do I go fight Goliath? I am six years old. Or do I just go run home to my daddy and say, I delivered the sandwiches. Hide me in the house because Goliath's going to take over. What do I do? You know, did David have that internal battle or did he look at the giant and go, Oh, God's called me for this. I see. Okay. Uh, I need King Saul. I'm telling him I'll take this guy down. Like, how did this... We don't have that recorded. But the point is, there had to have been some discerning on the part of David to know, like, God could, he has, is who he is, to help him figure out, am I supposed to go out there? Or maybe it wasn't even like, am I supposed to go out there? It's... Hey, God is with whoever chooses to go out there and has faith. I'll just be I'll just be the guy. Could have been anyone. I'll just be the guy. First Samuel 14:6 is the last one we'll look at. Jonathan the king of uh the son of Saul. And uh, he's trying to figure out whether he should go take down a, a Philistine stronghold, right? And this is a, I love this story because it just shows you like the grace of God uh to I guess meet you on the level you're asking him to meet you. Check it out. Saul's, you know, got no uh, boldness to go fight the Philistines. I was going to say something else. Uh, Jonathan goes, my dad is a weenie. He says to the young man who, who carried his armor, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. In other words, Jonathan has, a, has an idea. Hmm. I have an idea. And it's a desire. I want to go take down some Philistines and make some progress forward. It may be that the Lord will work for us. Pause. It may be. You're going to go on a maybe? For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by, ma- by many or by few. What does Jonathan know about God? God doesn't need much to do a lot. So we're two guys. God doesn't need anything more than that. God can use nothing to bring salvation. But let's be the tools. Let's offer ourselves up as the tools God uses. Right? It may be that God will work for us. Nothing can stop him. 
right? So Jonathan's knowledge of God informs how he's going to, whether or not he's going to go and fight the, the Philistines. His armor bearer goes, do all that's in your heart. Meaning this idea originated in the heart of Jonathan. Do as you wish. I'm with you heart and soul. Jonathan said, let's cross over to the men and we'll show ourselves to them. If. Oh, this that's a. Woof. You're going to go into enemy territory based on an if. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we'll stand in our place. We will not go fight them. But if they say, come up to us, then we'll know the Lord has given them into our hand. This shall be the sign to us. Well, what does happen is Jonathan goes, thank you, Pack Attack, for that gift. Jonathan does go. He goes, what's up, boys? Philistines in the stronghold go, come up to us. Jonathan looks at his armor bearer. That's the sign. Well, who told you that was going to be the sign? It doesn't say God told Jonathan, here's the sign I'll give you, son. If the Philistines say, then I'm with you. If they don't, then I'm not and run away. God didn't do that. Jonathan seems to decide in faith and informed by his knowledge of God. He makes this decision that if they say this, God is with us. If they say this, God is not with us. God seems to honor that desire for Jonathan, uh, that Jonathan has to trust God will tell him what to do. This is Jonathan not uh, testing God or putting God to the test or forcing God's hand. This is just Jonathan going, I want to do something. I know God can do something great. He doesn't need much. He can use us. I'm just not sure if he will. So let's go there and we'll figure out if God is going to use us or not. Right, that's the idea. Sometimes discerning the hand of God and, and, and getting direction on a decision and is just move forward and let him direct you. Just, I'm not saying make God, like hold God hostage to signs, but sometimes I think God is very gracious to honor certain conditions we place on him making it clear to us. All we're doing is asking for clarity. I just want to know what to do. And if no clarity comes or, or nothing comes, and I'll, okay, I'll move forward. And maybe, maybe in certain situations, God actually doesn't have a, it's not like this is a, there's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. Sometimes in certain situations, it's not that black and white. Where it's like, God, what's the right decision? God's like, both are equally acceptable in my opinion, just pick one. We're like, I can't, which one's right? God's like, we have to get to a point, not where we can make decisions on our own without God, but where we have such a strong confidence in who God is and we know him well enough to know in this situation, what is most likely the will of God is this. And so I don't need to, we've talked about this already. I don't need to go over this, but the idea is maybe certain decisions in your life are not as black and white as you've painted them to be. Maybe it's not, there's a right or wrong answer. It's just God is asking you to trust him, move forward a bit, let him clarify. And if no clarity comes, we'll talk about this, interpreting the silence of God later in the series. But for now, I just want to help you. The, the point of this message is, hey, there's a lot you could be doing that I'm praying you choose to do rather than 
sitting back and not doing it because you're so obsessed with what you don't know. You know, you'll never, I don't know if this is true or not, but I feel as though we know enough about God in his word to always be doing something. Praying, seeking his will, just, you know, we we know enough about him to always um, have our hands full in a good way, partnering with God and, and walking with him. And there's a lot you don't know, but that does not negate the things that you do know. So that that was the point of this message, is not get busy and, and work and labor. It's partner with God in what he's doing and let him clarify things along the way. And if God doesn't have a preference in that specific decision and he's leaving it up to you, and either option is okay, move forward like Jonathan and let God navigate that and make it clear to you and even go, Lord, if, if this happens, then I'll... You know, I tried that with uh, giving money to the ministry. I was like, God, if my wife comes, she never did. So I didn't go, well, I guess not. I went, well, that doesn't change the conviction in my heart. I think I unnecessarily, looking back in hindsight, I unnecessarily added that condition, knowing already what God wanted me to do. It wasn't an idea in my heart. It was, I, I, I'm sensing strongly this is what God wants. So that is episode six. On hearing God's voice. Hey, I just want to thank you for all your support and prayers that make this ministry possible and help us to accomplish our mission. Your support makes it possible for us to create all the free resources we have available for anyone around the world. Our mission is to teach people how to read the Bible so they can live and teach the Bible themselves. So be sure to visit abovereproachministry.com for all these free resources and to support this ministry. And if you're a new believer, be sure to check out the new believer section on the homepage of our website and grab a copy of my book, Fruitful, while you're there. God bless you guys, and as always, keep moving towards Jesus.